Okay, good morning, Gateway family. If you want to be making your way to your seats, love the energy and enthusiasm as we kick off the new year worshiping the Lord together. Happy New Year to everyone. Hope you all have had a great start on this first week of 2024. So first of all, thank you, church, for praying for our college students this week. You've seen us announcing for many months now that we were taking a group of college students and young adults to a conference in Louisville, Kentucky this past week. And 22 of us from Gateway were up in Louisville for the Cross Conference, and a bunch of, and all the guys from Fisher's Farm were up there as well. It was an amazing week of hearing great teaching from people like Ligon Duncan and Kevin DeYoung and John Piper and David Platt and many, many, many others of being challenged to think about the bigness of God and God's glory among the nations. And so thank you for praying. We had a great week in Louisville, Kentucky with 11,018 to 25-year-olds. And if friends, let me just tell you, it gave me a lot of hope for the next generation God is raising up of 11,018 to 25-year-olds with their Bibles open, studying deep teaching of the Word of God, worshiping the Lord, being challenged to go to the nation. So I'd encourage you to keep praying for our college students. They heard amazing truth about the sovereignty of God, amazing truth about the reality of suffering and pursuing Christ. They have heard amazing truth about living for the glory of God among the nations. And so pray that these deep truths that our young people heard would really take root in their heart. But thank you for praying for them, and please keep doing that. Now, as we begin the new year, I want to remind you about a resource we have available for you, and that's called the Dwell Bible App. Now, if you've been around Gateway a while, you've heard us talk about this, and I think we have a slide for the Dwell App for you. The Dwell App is a way to be able to hear the Bible read and follow it along on the screen as well. This is a way, just if you want ways to immerse yourself in the Word of God, Dwell is a great way to do that. You have Bible reading plans, Bible listening plans. You can hear it read in different voices with background music or no music. You can plug it up in your car as you're going and redeem the time drive. It's just a great way to do that. Normally dwell is a cost for it, but as a church, we have a church-wide subscription. And so you see it up there. Go to dwellapp.io slash sign up slash with slash gateway, and you can get dwell for no cost. We want to equip you to have the Word of God in your life in as many ways possible, and so it's a joy for us to provide that for you. So if you do not have dwell yet, hope you'll jot down that link and go get dwell and just use it to help fill your minds and your homes with scripture. Now, two upcoming opportunities. Everything kicks back off this week after our Christmas and New Year's break. Everything is kicking back in, and we're excited for all the opportunities to gather again. First of all, for the ladies, there is a ladies' game night this Friday. So, like, six days from now, there's a ladies' game night coming up on Friday night. It's going to be at 6.30 in the gym. Desserts and teas and coffees are going to be provided. And just bring your favorite game and come join other ladies to kick off the New Year, build community, and join fellowshipping together. Details are on Facebook and also on the church website at gatewaybaptist.com. You do not need to sign up in advance. Just come show up and enjoy the night with one another. This Friday, 6.30 in the gym. Also this week, on Wednesday night, our Wednesday evening activities resume. I'm excited about this. All of our midweek Bible studies kick off. That means that for the kids, they'll continue with the Gospel Project for Kids. Our youth will have their youth midweek Bible study. And for the adults, we're going back to having small groups on Wednesday night in the gym building. Now, we have three small groups available for adults this semester. The details are on the website. We'll email you tomorrow, but I want to go ahead and let you know what those are. First of all, for the men... There'll be a men's group that William Fox and I will be leading, and we're going through the Jerry Bridges book, Trusting God. As we did the attributes of God last semester, one of the attributes that most impacted a lot of the men was the attribute of God's sovereignty, his control and reign over all things. So we want to go deeper in that one attribute, the attribute of God's sovereignty and how it changes our daily life. So we're going to work through this. We'll give every man a copy of the book, of Trusting God, on Wednesday night. Then during the week, you'll read a chapter on your own. We'll come together each Wednesday 
and talk about that book together. So the men will be in the gym building doing Trusting God. Now for the ladies, we're going to do a LifeWay study on prayer. Last summer we did a church-wide prayer study. We're going to follow that up with a lady study on prayer called When You Pray. They're going to look at six different major prayers of the Bible and what we learn about how to talk to the Lord based on how we see prayers modeled in the Bible. This will be led by Trish Butterfield, and so I hope you'll consider joining that, ladies. And then for the couples in the church who would like to strengthen your marriage, we're going to do a couple study led by Ronnie and Sheila Grayley. We're going to do Tim Keller's The Meaning of Marriage. And so it's going to be a great book to dig into what is God's ultimate purpose for marriage, what we've been seeing in Genesis, that God made marriage to show us the picture of Christ in the church. And we're going to go a lot deeper in that. So all three of these are amazing follow-ups, things we've done as a church, the attributes of God for the men to say the sovereignty of God, and Genesis and seeing marriage and for the couples to be able to go through that. And then for the ladies, after doing our prayer study last summer, to now go deeper into what it looks like to pray. So that's all on our website, gatewaybaptist.com. Click on news and events and you can find details on all those. You do not need to sign up. Just show up on Wednesday night in the gym building at 6 p.m. for any of those opportunities. So that's it for analysis this morning. Everything you can find on our social media pages, you can find on our website. So check those out to go deeper into those opportunities to connect. Now, as we begin this morning, our first song this morning is a song of how vast the love of God. And what a great way to start off this new year together as we think about God's pursuit of us and God's unfailing love for us. So as we begin, I want you to stand, please. I want to read for us from 1 John chapter 4. It was our first scripture reading of this new year together. Just to think about who God is and his holiness and his love for us. 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's rejoice that God has pursued us in his love. i 
my rock and my redeemer. And oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you.
go back and sing that you rose, the grave and death are conquered. As we look today in scripture, just the curse, the curse on Satan and the coming promise of a redeemer that would come and redeem a lost generation that sinned against a holy God. So let's just sing that. And you rose the great dead
of the great power of God and the holiness of God. And so I want you to hear the word of God. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, but the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king is in his might, loves justice You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a revealing God. That you've shown us who you are. You've shown us your holiness. You've shown us your glory. You've shown us your power. You've shown us your wisdom. You've shown us all about yourself through your word. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for giving us the precious gift of salvation. Lord, as we begin the new year, I pray we would not take for granted that we get to know you, the holy God, because of what Christ has done for us. Thank you for changing our hearts and giving us hearts, Lord, that want to know you more and love you and praise you. And I pray in this new year you would grow those desires in our heart through the work of the Holy Spirit, through your word. I pray that we would be a people who would hunger and thirst to know more of you this year. Lord, we thank you as well as we begin this new year for the invitation to pray. You, a God who already knows everything, who knows our words before we say them, who knows our thoughts before we think them, to think that you have not only saved us, but you've brought us into a relationship with yourself, and you've invited us and even commanded us to come and to bring our request before you, to come seek mercy and grace to help in our time of need. We thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for myself and for these brothers and sisters that individually this year you would grow our hearts to want to talk to you in prayer. We pray that collectively for us as a church that this year you would keep growing us to understand the treasure of prayer, the command of prayer, the joy of prayer, and we would want to be a people who want to commune with you as we study your word, as we talk to you. Grow us in that this year. As we think about bringing requests before you, we know there's so many different needs in this body. We know that many today have sorrows in their hearts, and I pray today especially for Melissa Harris, and she lost her father this past week. We pray for her, Lord, that your peace would just supernaturally overwhelm her, 
that she would know that you were near. Lord, we're thankful for how you sustained her through the week and the grieving, sustained her through the funeral. And we pray you continue to sustain Melissa and sustain her family. And we pray that you would give them much grace and much wisdom in the days to come with all the decisions that have to be made and the things that need to be done. We pray that she would know you are with her, giving her the strength and the wisdom and the peace and the joy in the midst of the grieving that she has. We know that there's many today in this room who are wrestling with sin. Lord, we know that we all have sin in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people this year who would not hide our sin, but we would confess it. We would not do what we saw last week where we pass the blame or try to excuse it or hide our sin. We would be a people who bring our sin to the light, knowing that you meet us with grace and mercy and you love us too much to leave us where we are. And so I pray that you would grow each of us this year in holiness this week, that we'd understand our position before you and we want to live out who you've already declared us to be. We know in this room today, Lord, there's people who are wrestling with life decisions. But what's next and what next step? These things that aren't necessarily spelled out in Scripture where they need your wisdom. And I pray that they would find your wisdom as they seek your word and they seek you in prayer and they seek wisdom in community. I pray that you would meet them where they are and they would find the wisdom they need for whatever decisions they are wrestling with. And we pray for our college students and young adults who went to the conference this week. Lord, I'm so thankful for the time with them. I'm so thankful for the time to have gotten to know many of them better. And I pray, Lord, that those incredible gospel truths that they heard taught and proclaimed from your word, those truths that they proclaimed back in song and in prayer, Lord, I pray that wouldn't just be something they hear and they forget about as they go through the semester. But, Lord, those truths would forever radically change their life, that they would be captured by that glimpse of your glory and your greatness. They would be burdened by the reality of the unreached people groups of the world, and they would see what it looks like to live for your glory and your purposes. I pray that these young people's lives would never be the same because of the truth from your word that has captured their hearts. Lord, as we pray for the nations, Lord, we realize we have so much that we take for granted with having access to your word, and we all have copies of the Bible, physical Bibles, and digital copies of it, and we have music to sing to you whenever we want. Lord, not everyone in the world gets that, and so we want to pray today for the nations and pray particularly for unreached people groups. So we want to pray today for the Kim Moon people of Vietnam, some 200,000 people where there are no believers, where they've not even heard the name of Jesus, where they've not even had an opportunity to repent and believe because they do not know who you are. Lord, we pray that you would get the gospel this year to the Kim Moon people, that you would raise up Vietnamese believers to cross those cultural barriers to a different people group in their own country. We pray you'll bring outsiders in who are burdened for the Vietnamese. And Lord, we pray that the Kim Moon people, this might be the year that a church is planted among them and they become worshipers of you. Lord, I pray this new year that you would grow our heart for the nations. Or you didn't give us the gospel for us to sit on it. So would you be showing us how to get the gospel to others, whether it's our neighbors or whether it's the ends of the earth? Would you be growing us as a people this year to take the gospel to the lost so they can find the hope and the joy that we've just been singing about all morning? And Lord, we thank you that we do have the opportunity this morning to hear your word taught, that we're not afraid of persecution, that we can gather with windows open in a public place and be able to say, thus saith the Lord, and to study your word together. Lord, may we not take lightly that we can hold your word right now and talk about it but boldly and publicly and to wrestle with these truths of your word today. And so we just pray right now for Jeff as he teaches us from Genesis this morning. That, Lord, your word would be powerful and would come alive to us. That your Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it to each one of our lives. That we might live out what the truth that we're seeing and find the hope of the gospel. So we just pray for Jeff as he proclaims today. And we pray for us that you would give us ears to hear your word and teachable hearts today to be shaped and changed by your word. So Lord, thank you for the blessings of this church family. Thank you for these precious brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would continue to be molding us and shaping us in the people you desire for us to be. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, as Jeff comes to preach, our first to fourth graders, you are dismissed to kids' worship with Mr. Tom and Miss Jennifer this morning. So first to fourth graders, you may head out to kids' worship. I was, I was waiting until all the kids left and then realized that might take six or seven more minutes at some point because there's just a lot of folks here. Glad you all are here today. My name is Jeff Moody. I'm one of, uh, one of the elders here. And today we get to unpack the tremendous truth of God that gives us hope. And hope is a key term that I want you to keep in mind today as we work through this scripture. And I want you to think about where you are placing your hope. If it is placed anywhere... But in Jesus Christ, it will not hold. It's the hope of the gospel, and it's the story that God tells from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end. From the moment sin entered the, into the world, the truth of the gospel entered as well. And as we look to the past and see the beginning of this hope, and we look to the future and see its conclusion, my prayer is that today we will find hope for the present. But this, these ideas that we're going to talk about, they can be difficult. And sometimes when we get to those more difficult spaces of Scripture, it's very tempting uh, to kind of shy away from those and go back to the easier parts. God would not have us look away, but to continue to expand our thinking about Him, His Word and its impact on us. We can call what we are learning today something like a, a heavy truth because it carries weight but this weight reaches beyond just mere knowing and saying, but down to our hearts. Here is where we'll find comfort in God's grace. If we only stay at the surface of the ideas, they won't hold up or satisfy. But if we let the weight of these heavy truths go down, we will find that sustaining hope. So we're going to do that today. Today we're going to look at God's response to Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3. And let's remember where we've been to this point. Adam and Eve have committed the first sin. God told them to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did. And their desire for knowledge and their autonomy, the, the desire to make their own choices, they fell into the temptation offered to them. And they chose to disobey God, and they, have been called, they are being called into account. And Grady explained to us last week that God's approach to them was one of, of questioning, to give them a chance to repent, the, to confess their sins and to pursue reconciliation, but they chose not to, and they passed the blame. Adam blamed Eve and God, and Eve blamed the serpent. And we're going to pick up with Genesis 3.14 today, where we've had the initial sin of taking and eating the apple, God's response and their excuses. We've really hit, for Adam and Eve, we've hit rock bottom, where God must punish their sin. Why? Why does God have to punish sin? Well, if God, if God does not punish sin, we could no longer call anything right or wrong, holy or profane, or have any standard of righteousness. There is a cost associated with this sin, and it must be paid. The scales of justice must be balanced. God said, don't eat, and they did. If he were to let this go, if God were to say, ah, it's no big deal, 
You didn't mean for that to happen. Would we really take him seriously as God? It's often a question that comes up in any discussions uh, with people who don't believe. Like, why, does, why does God have to punish this? Why, why can't God just let it go? I, if you're struggling with that, and I totally get the struggle, I imagine you to think about just for a minute of, of how often we want that. Now, if I've made the mistake, if I have sinned, if I have offended in some way, I really start to have conversations about, does oh, the punishment fit the crime? And, you know, I mean, I, I didn't mean to do such things. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, but maybe you're being a little harsh, you know. But let me be the offended one. Let you do something to me. Now I'm talking about things have to be right, have to be, have to be settled. And that, that struggle that we have, that desire for justice is one that God has given us that comes from him. And at the center of it is God who created the world, who set in course everything and said, this is what is right. And if we break that, there are consequences to it. What's amazing about our God and his mercy is that he has to, in order to maintain his holiness and righteousness and this standard of morality and justice, he has to punish sin, but that he takes it on himself. So before we get into today's text, I want to give us a reference point in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. I think we have that, Brad. Okay, I'll read it. <laughs> this is one of those moments when I go to find scripture and then I wish I had the tab Bible because I'm always like two or three pages over from where I need to be. Okay. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And this is where Moses has asked to see God's glory. He's on the mountain and he's saying, God, show me your glory. And God passes before him and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation." How can this be? How can God both be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers? Like this is, these are these spaces where there's this problem and we see God step in to resolve it. So today's text is the beginning of that. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So this is our text for the day. If you would, please stand with me. There we go. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray. Father, sometimes 
it is hard, especially in the midst of suffering, when things are not working out to believe in your promises. When everything in the world or most things in the world are telling us that what we believe just can't be true. And so we need your grace to understand your promises, to live according to your truth. So give us that faith today. Open up our hearts to understand how you set in course at the very beginning the story of redemption. And let it be the foundation of what we believe today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So from this text, I want us to see three things. One, that God ultimately has authority over Satan. But that two, we will continue to battle against Satan's movements and temptations in this world. And that three, Jesus is the promised redeemer and has defeated Satan, sin, and death. So, let's look at verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done all this, cursed are you above all livestock and all all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, what I I found interesting in this text is what's said, but also what's not said. This is not a dialogue between God and Satan. There isn't a question of Satan uh, or even an opportunity to give him the chance to respond. God says, on your belly you shall go, and on his belly he went. There is no back and forth here. And it's important for us to remember that, that God has ultimate authority over Satan, that he must ultimately submit to God. And this is not an isolated instance in Scripture. We we see several examples of this. Let's go to the book of Job, one of the first books written in Scripture where we see Job suffering. And then through the midst of Job's suffering, he has to wrestle with understanding uh, suffering in in a place where it doesn't quite make sense. But one thing we can't see is that Satan in in some way has authority over God. Look um, Look at verse... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 12 of Job. And the Lord said to Satan, talking about Job, Satan is asked, "Can can I come and tempt him? Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And the next is Job, when he comes back in Job 2, 6. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. And we see Christ have this same authority over Satan when he's tempted. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, this is after Satan has tempted him, and Jesus has responded to his temptation after Jesus has spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And the next verse says, and Satan left. And the angels attended to him. The picture we have is Satan having to submit to the Father and the Son. We have to deal with this truth if we want to worship God fully. And it is an age-old problem with asking, if there is a good God, why is there suffering in the world? Now, today is not... There's not a sufficient amount of time in the short time I'm here today to go into the full explanation of that. But one thing we can't say, one thing that this truth teaches us, 
is that God is not somehow conquered or surprised by Satan. So many of our beliefs, even as believers, end up in this weird dualism where we think like God and Satan are on somehow some, evil, some equal level and that they're kind of wrestling back and forth and sometimes God wins and sometimes Satan wins. That's not the picture from Scripture right. at all. Scripture presents this as a, a, the view of this relationship as one of authority and submission. And even if Satan's submission is forced by God. And if this is hard to think about today, if, this, if you are in some suffering, as Grady mentioned earlier, we've got lots of folks that are in the midst of suffering, I encourage you to recognize what this means. That nothing you face is outside of God's plan, and if you are his child, then every struggle, every moment of suffering will ultimately serve God's good purpose of his glory and your good. That's hard to hold on to, and that's why we need God's faith to continue to look to him in the midst of us. So on this one side, we have God in complete authority over Satan, and Satan must submit to him. But this is also true in Genesis 3.15 at the same time. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. God is ultimately in control, but we see a part of his response to the people's sin is to put enmity between Satan and us, which means that we will battle. It is a historic and present truth. We have to battle against Satan and his temptations. And we see this in the New Testament, right? So even on further down in Scripture, after thousands of years have gone forward, after the crucifixion and resurrection, we see the New Testament writers encouraging the believers there with the idea that this is battle is not new and that it is ongoing. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking, to someone, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These verses are continuing in that same line as Genesis 3.15. There is enmity between us and Satan, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against something deeper. And so we have these two truths that are in place, that God has ultimate authority and control, and Satan must submit to him. And yet we will be at war with Satan until the final victory. And we have to hold these things together. We have to grasp them at the same time. And this is where that, that truth gets kind of heavy. Because what, what, what tends to happen whenever we have these spaces in Scripture where we, we have to hold some things that we can't quite resolve, God would say, look to me, what we tend to do, what I tend to do, is try to solve it myself. And so what, I end up, what we end up seeing is you can fall into one of two traps here. And the first trap is overemphasizing, the God's, uh, overemphasizing verse 14, 
where we want to ignore or we don't want to look at the suffering in the world. So we just kind of close our eyes to it and say, God's in control. Now, that's true. But you also know that it can get disconnected from seeing the truth, right in fr- right, the truth that's right in front of us. You guys remember, those of you who are of a certain age, um, the, uh, the old slogan for M&M's candy? You guys remember that? Melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Whoever wrote that has never been in the summer in Alabama. <laughs> Put an M&M in your hand in July next summer. Watch how fast. That thing gets gooey and messy. And sometimes I think we have this idea, what, what, if we don't want to wrestle with that truth, that there is suffering in the world and that God would call us to resist it and to look to him, is that we get a thin candy coating around our faith. And it doesn't hold up. And we can use words and we say things like, God is in control and God is in control and God is in control. But it doesn't make it all the way down to our heart because we don't want to look at the world and say, God is also We're dealing in this space with enmity. So that's what happens. We emphasize that side of it. Or we fall into the other trap, which is my trap. This is the one I live in, which is we overemphasize the first part of verse 15. Kind of like we're looking for the battles everywhere we go. We're always around the corner and always in fear and always neglecting the idea that God is ultimately in control and that everything is a struggle Always, And I I mentioned, this is my struggle. Like, I am most often the Charlie Brown of the group, right? That there's always a rain cloud following, and Lucy's always going to pull up the football every time, and I'm always weary, and I'm always, um, as as they say in the, the Christmas special that we just watched, of all the Charlie Browns, you're the Charlie Browniest. And that I am. Um, and it makes me cynical and cold. And in my worst moments, I'm incapable of seeing hope. And you can always spot if we're falling into one of these traps by the way that we communicate with each other. If someone is suffering and I come up to them and I, can't, I don't have a reference point for their suffering and I say, oh, God is in control, it, can be, it feels very cold. Right? Sometimes like if you're in the moment of grief and somebody says, yeah but, yeah, but God's in control, so you don't have to think about that. It's like, ah, that's cold. Or if you go and you're always with a storm cloud over your head, how can, I hope, how can I share any hope with anybody else? If there's hope in Christ, then I can't share that if I'm stuck in this space where I'm in fear because I don't know that God is in control. We fall into one of these two traps when we try to figure out this scripture, when we try to say, I can't quite grasp how God is ultimately in control and how I still battle, so I've got to get short-circuited. Or we can dig a little bit deeper, and we can dig into the truth that is at the end here of Genesis 3.15 and in the truth that is written throughout the rest of scripture, which is that God has accomplished the ultimate victory through the cross. At the moment of Satan's greatest triumph, God flipped it and made death the path to life. Genesis 3.15 is the first presentation of the gospel that God would provide a savior that would be human to conquer Satan. However, in order to pay for other sins, he would also be God and capable of living a fully human but sinless life. 
Jesus Christ himself stepped out of heaven to conquer Satan, to win the battle, but it comes through suffering and death before it is born to life. This is the story of the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the gospel. How does God resolve it? By stepping out of heaven, by taking our sin, by dying in our place to conquer death. Paul summarizes this for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is a story. This is the story that God has been telling from the beginning. Satan would be defeated, but it would come at the cost of the suffering of suffering by the victor. He will bruise your head. You will bruise his heel. I wanted to point to, as we see this, and as I mentioned that God continues to tell this story, we see the serpent show back up in Numbers chapter 21. So the Israelites had left Egypt and they were in the wilderness and suffering um, to the point that they told God, uh, they, they, God's gift of manna to them, they basically said, this is worthless. And God's response to them, to their sinfulness, was this. And the Lord said to, uh, was to send serpents. And the serpents, the fiery serpents, came around and they would, people would bite the people and they would die. And they cried out for mercy. And this is what God tells Moses in Numbers 21. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You absolutely have to think that the, when, the, when the Israelites saw that serpent, they had read their Moses. If they had thought about this story up until this point, we'd see there's the serpent again causing suffering and pain and then raised up God conquers Jesus tells Nicodemus this is a picture of him coming John chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the son of man and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That is the promise of the gospel. That serpent being raised up, God conquering death. Jesus said, that's a picture of my, what's going to happen. And that's a picture of what God said would happen in Genesis 3. This is the truth for us. It was the truth back then, it's the truth now, and it's the truth in the future. So let's look at Romans 3, 21 through 26, where Paul explains this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, you shall strike his heel to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at, his, at the present time. This is how God resolves it so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's what that word propitiation means. He's a substitute for us. He stepped in and because he lived a sinless life, he could conquer sin and death. Paul explains it further in Romans 5, 18 through 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as, one, by, as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, they will be made righteousness. This is, shows us the tremendous love and care and compassion, but power and authority of God all wrapped together. That in Genesis, in the immediate moment at Satan's greatest triumph, God says, no, that's mine. That's my triumph. C.S. Lewis presents it this way. Death is the result of sin and the triumph of Satan, but it is also the means of redemption from sin, God's medicine for man and his weapon against Satan. Every good general, every good chess player takes what is precisely the strong point of his opponent's plan and makes it the pivot of his own plan. Our enemy, death, becomes our servant. Bodily death, the monster becomes blessed spiritual death to self, if the Spirit so wills. Christ's victory has already happened, is happening, and will happen. And so if this is true, and as we look back at this, that's absolutely the truth for you now if you are struggling. That we live in a space right now that's a difficult one because this Redemption story of Christ dying is true and it has happened. And sin no longer has mastery over us and death is now the path to life. And yet, we're still in this space of what theologians call the already not yet. And so in this moment, if we want to have hope, we look forward to the final victory. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 26. For as by a man came death... By a man has also come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. This is the hopefulness. When he delivers the kingdom to God, the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So what hope do we have? Where does our hope come from? It can't come from inside me. And it can't come in from inside you. And it can't come from this world and anything that it promises. We have and access to this hope, and we can see it if we will look for it, if we will wrestle with it, if we will look all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 at the very beginning when, Jesus, when God the Father says, the offspring of the woman 
will bruise your head. You will bruise his heel. In that moment, we see that death becomes the path to life. We see then that Jesus, when he came and lived a sinless life and died for us, died and was resurrected, now we have hope for the future. Now we have hope for the coming kingdom. And that's the hope that sustains. Nothing in this world will give you that hope. Nothing that you do, nothing that I do, nothing that it promises will give you that hope. The only hope that we have is that God set in motion in Genesis 3 something that will come to fruition in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I was at a funeral on Friday, and uh, it was tough because the, the person that had passed away died suddenly, unexpectedly, young. And I was struck, and I didn't know, I knew two or three people in this, in this very full room. But what I was struck by was that what united these people was the belief in the gospel and that this person who had passed away believed the gospel and he continued to hold out that truth. And that is the promise for us. And I saw it at that funeral and it gave me a lot of hope because no one at that funeral was looking, for, looking at today. And that's kind of what funerals and death and suffering put up for us. It teaches us not to look to today because today is fleeting. There's no hope for us if all we're looking for is today. But if we look to Christ, if we look for him, we will find hope for today and tomorrow and the next day. Up until this point, when we get to Revelation 21.4, where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So I encourage you this week, look to these truths. Remind yourself of them. Dig into these. Think about them. Wrestle with them. Ask God for faith to believe, even when everything tells us that we cannot see. What God will grant us, what he has given us in his word, is to say, from the very beginning... When death entered, I made it the path to life. And so that's the victory that we all have to look forward to now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. So often that's all we can say is just thank you. Thank you for coming and dying for us. You did not have to do that. You chose to do that. And if, any more, and if any point we feel disconnected from that truth, if we feel unloved, uncared for, if we feel like that we don't matter, help us remember that you have given us this hope. You have adopted us. You have died for us. You paid the penalty for sin on the cross for us. 
And you have opened the door to give us new life. Let us look to that truth for the, for the to look, let us look to that truth for the hope that we have. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah.
creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. With patience. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor in height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bless you guys. Have a good week.